0: It's so good to see you on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I hope you get everything you want today. I hope the kids are good to you. I hope. I tell my daughter, do something for your mom, because I ain't. She's not my mom. She's yours. You take care of that. She's an adult now. I do not have my job. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. We hope you know you're always welcome, what we have going on. Those of you that are watching online today, we're so glad you're here. We're in a series. This is the second week of a three-week series entitled Families at a Crossroads. Because one thing we understand, it can be tough being a family. And, and and all of us at some point as a family go through what we call the crossroads—a period where where what we do, what we decide, can make a fundamental difference in how things shape out. And uh, you know, we're we're not here. Listen, as a church, we're not here to make life hard for families. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. We're not here to beat you up. We don't want you to leave here today feeling beat up. The last week preaching about marriage, we didn't want you to feel beat up about your marriage. We want you to feel encouraged. And, and now we'll be blunt with you. We'll be honest with you. Sometimes that can be tough. But we want you to hear something that Jesus has to say in your life. And last week, you know, we went to Mark chapter 10 to Jesus to talk about marriage. And we looked at marriage matters to God. It shouldn't matter to us. Jesus made it clear. Marriage matters to God. And today we're just following on in Mark 10. And we're going to deal with kids. And the message today simply is this. Children matter to God. They better matter to us because they matter to God. And before I get into the passage in Mark chapter 10, here's the thing I want you to see from the message today. In reality, I could probably just stop here and just tell you all just to bow your heads and think about this for the next 20 minutes, but I won't. But here's the thing, and I want you to really get this. This is so important. God expects you to raise your kids the same way he would raise your kids. God expects you to raise your kids the exact same way. Way God would raise your kids. So, we're going to begin today uh, just talking about the simple fact that Jesus loves the little children. He does. We used to sing that song. First service, the traditional service, we actually sang that. Uh, we don't sing it in the modern service. Y'all are too, too far advanced to sing that song, I guess. <laughs> I may mean, not know Jesus loves all the little children. And, and to really get t- to understand, you know, the passage we're going to be in, we need to go back to the culture of that day. And there's, and there's, like always, there's multiple cultures playing out. Uh, the big culture, the overwhelming culture that everyone had to face was the Roman culture. And in the Roman culture, like any non-Jewish culture, that all the pagan cultures, all the, really the cultures that didn't worship the twins of God, children really had no value to society. Now, to a family, your kids always mattered. I get that. Especially to moms. I don't care. What culture you come from, what religions, moms, the children—they all matter. I got that. But in the Roman culture, kids just really weren't that important. They were commodities. There was simply no value on human life to begin with, and sons were far more important than daughters because sons could go to war, uh, sons—you know—could farm. Sons could do things that in their society women were just were not ever going to be allowed to do. And children's main value would be, of course, that you could sell them into slavery and make money off them. So that's kind of how it was. In fact. The father controlled what happened to the kids. They wouldn't let the mother do it, because the mother would always nurture the kids. So the father controlled things, and the father could simply decide that the kid that they had, the baby was born, that they could practice something they called abandonment. They could just abandon the kid. Maybe uh, the child was born with a special need, and and they didn't want to raise the child. It was too big of a burden. Uh, Maybe that uh, it was a girl, because boys are valued more than girls. Maybe the father thought, the man thought that the wife, that the child wasn't his, And he could have the child abandoned. They would leave the child literally in a special place, come on the side of the road, let the face decide what happened to the kids. We even have a document uh, from the time of Christ. And a man writing his wife, he's traveling, she's about to give birth, saying if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, abandon it. That was their mindset. Children simply didn't have any value. But to the Jewish world, it was different. Kids had value in and of themselves. And that's why you see in Jewish life, the family unit was so important. And they would teach their kids and they would train their kids. Their kids mattered. But here's the thing. To the Jews, their kids mattered, but the Roman kids didn't. The, the outside of the Jewish world, the Gentile kids didn't matter, but their kids did. Christianity comes along and something different happens. Christians come along and all children matter. In fact, what the Christians would do is they would go to the sites of the abandonment and they would take those kids and bring them in their homes and raise them and adopt them. Because children matter. Jewish, Gentile, as the church grew and became more Gentile, especially, it didn't matter if kids were pagan kids, what they were, all children mattered. And we might say, what was the difference? Why in the Christian world did all of a sudden things change so much that all human life, the life of an infant child became so valuable? And the answer is very simple, it's Jesus. Because of Jesus, children really began to matter. We come to the passage today, and to remember from last week, Uh, in in Mark ten that Jesus had left the northern part in Galilee, he was heading to Jerusalem, he was heading to the cross, just a few days before the cross. It'd be several days to make this trip. And along the way, not only did his twelve disciples follow him, but you know, the crowds came also. There were a lot of them going there and a lot of them come with Jesus because they thought Jesus, he's the Messiah, he's the real deal. Now their understanding the Messiah wasn't quite what would be for Christ, what he truly was, but at least they they began to think maybe he's going to reveal himself as the Messiah, and they were expecting something fantastic happen, and so the crowds were coming, and we saw last week the Pharisees came to question Jesus about divorce, about marriage. Jesus talked about it. As they were stopped, they were in a house someplace in a room. The disciples approached him last week in the message, and then today we pick up in verse 13. They're still in that house, still in that room. Here's what we see. And they were bringing children to him. That is, probably parents, moms, so that he might touch them. And so as he was there, they began to bring the kids to him. Now, Jewish parents wanted rabbis and teachers to bless their kids. The idea of a blessing was important. It was to speak forth a word that had power. And they wanted the blessing of God coming through a rabbi. But Jesus just wasn't a new rabbi. They thought Jesus was the Messiah. They were expecting Jesus to come to Jerusalem and do something fantastic. And they wanted their kids to be blessed by the Messiah. They wanted the kids to have the Messiah who had this unbelievable relationship with God to have this special blessing. So when the Messiah came and the kingdom was established, they could say, Junior, sweetheart, you, you guys, y'all were blessed by Jesus. And the idea of a children is anyone between, you know, birth to 12 years old back in that day, they just brought them. And here's what we also see though in verse 13. This is crazy. But the disciples rebuked them. They pushed them away. We have no idea why. This is really odd because in chapter 9 of Mark, Jesus had said, if you receive one of these children, he's talking about little kids, you receive them, you receive me. I mean, they obviously knew that kids were important to Jesus. This isn't the first time he had blessed kids. This isn't the first time they had seen this. But for some reason, they were pushing the kids away. And then verse 14, here's what we see. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The word indignant means to be extremely angry. Jesus was ticked off. He was mad. And we we ought not be surprised at this. Sometimes we get the idea that Jesus can't ever get angry, man. Because we think about when we get mad. When we get mad, we tend to sin, right? I mean, come on, you do, really? Come on. You know when you're driving, something happens, you get angry? You know, you know I've seen you. I've seen you because I'm passing you and you're getting angry. I see that. I cut you off, you're honking your horn, getting all upset. Don't do that when I do that. And in our mindset, you know, to be angry is because it's so selfish. We're offended and we want to strike back. And we think that. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, be angry but don't sin. I mean, there are times Jesus is angry. A couple of times in, in the temple area, he drives the money changers out with the whip. He's not doing that because he's happy. Hey, I'm happy. I'm going to beat you with the whip. No, he's angry. But you can be angry and I sin. This is one of those cases. He's angry at his disciples. These are the 12. He's mad at them. And then he orders them to do two things. You permitted them to come and you don't hinder on them. But let them come. Because the kingdom belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That's a strange way of putting it. He clarifies it in in verse 15. He goes on and says this. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it at all. Now, this is strange because this doesn't he's talking about kids. Now he's talking about the kingdom of God. And some people think that this is the main thrust of this passage is about entering the kingdom. It's really not. It's about Jesus and kids. But it reminds us of something of the value of kids. You see, children have a unique perspective, a unique value in life, a unique way about their life. Sometimes what we, we tend to do is say, well, you know, how is it that a kid responds and they have faith and they trust? And all those things are true. We think about the virtues of kids. But really, it's not about the virtue of a kid. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God. How do you receive the reign and rule of God? It's not on our virtues. But here's the thing. Children are innocent. And not only are they innocent, they have value within themselves. And they have not become stained and tarnished by the sin of their life. They have not begun to live a life committed to sin. He says the kingdom is like these kids. There's innocence involved. There's the value in sin has been removed. So these kids have value to Jesus simply because they're kids. That's radically different than the way the world thought of children. And then in verse 16, here's what happens. And it's linked to verse 13. In verse 16, this happens. He took them in his arms and he began to bless them, laying his hands on them. They just wanted Jesus to touch them. Jesus took him in his arms. he began to hug them. He began to hug the kids. Now, we don't encourage you to take the children that walk by and begin to hug them. This was a different time. This is Jesus. You Don't, don't even lay your hands on them. Just be friendly to them. But this is Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus, can you imagine after the resurrection being a parent to say, Jesus, hug my child. And he blessed them. You go back to Genesis, we see blessings. We see Abraham blessing blessing Isaac. And Isaac blessed Jacob. And Esau. And Jacob blessed his kids. And, and David blessed Solomon. The idea of blessing is the promise of God. It's the spoken word that positive things would happen in your life. That there's love. That there's God in your life. It's, it, it's a word of encouragement. A blessing is to encourage. And here Jesus was doing that. The people brought their kids to Jesus because they recognized him as the Messiah. They had no idea what that meant. But they brought their kids to Jesus. It was something they knew to do. It was something these parents knew needed to be done. Because it kind of underlies something we need to all remember in life, which is this. And this is so important. God gives children to us so that we will one day give them back to him. God gives us our children so that we will one day give them back to him. And these people are bringing their children to Jesus. They're bringing their children to Jesus. So with this passage in mind. In understanding something about the way the totality of Scripture views the family and children. I want to give you today, from this passage, three principles that I think will help you. Especially uh, some of you younger parents or you've got kids of all ages. But even if your kids are grown, these will help you and the last one will certainly help you. But it's also a word spoken to us as a church. So what I'm about to say is important to the church as a whole as well. It's important to me as a pastor. So the first principle, the first value, the principle I want to share with you is point your children to faith in Jesus. God gives you kids to give back to him. So start by pointing your children to Jesus. That, that's what these people were doing. They were bringing them to Jesus. They didn't, they didn't even know Jesus like we know Jesus. And we know Jesus as the Savior of the world. They just thought of him as the Messiah that they had in their mind. And they, their understanding Messiah wasn't even right, but they brought him to Jesus. How much more should we do that? And the reason we bring our children to Jesus is because we understand that people at some point need to come to Christ. We talk all the time, let's honor God and bring people to Jesus. You know where you start bringing people to Jesus? Where do you begin? With your kids. You begin with your children, grandkids, family. You want them to come to Jesus. And the reason we want people to come to Jesus is because life has value. We are created in the image of God. I share this all the time. Go back to Genesis. We're created in the image of God. Being human means to bear the image of God. And it's not something that's in, given to us at some point. Like, when do we get the image of God? It's not something added. It's like, if you go out here and you get coffee, the free coffee that some of you forget you can still donate to help offset the cost of. <laughs> seeing how much coffee you drink and how much of the creamer you put in it. That stuff's not free. But when you get the coffee, or you go over here to the cafe and get one of those fancy coffees, Right? And and you get it, you have the coffee, which is just the grounds and it's inherently coffee, but you add stuff to it. Add a little sugar, a little cream. Maybe go there and you get a pump of vanilla syrup. Maybe you put something else in there. Yes, you make it up, but you add stuff to it. And sometimes we get the idea that the image of God is something that's added. It's not added. The image of God is the coffee. It's, it's, It's inherent in the existence of it. If the image of God is inherent in our existence, that much means the image of God becomes a part of our life When we're conceived at conception. And here's the cool thing. This is important. God created us to have a relationship with him. To be in his image is to have a relationship with God. But what happens? We see in Genesis, sin damages that relationship. We mess it up because of sin. So what happens? Does God give up on us? No. God sends Jesus to restore that relationship. That's why Jesus matters. Because God wants us to relate to him. So we understand that a child, that a person... Bears the image of God. And the image of God isn't something added. It becomes there at conception. I mean, you're human at conception. At conception, it's not a question of whether you're human or not. I mean, that's just one, two, three cells, that little couple of cells. Those are human cells. That's a scientific fact. And the minute those cells exist, there is the image of God. Which is why, as a Christian, we oppose abortion. We should. Not because of politics. I don't care about politics. I don't care your political views. It's not because we don't love women. Of course we care about women. It's not about women's health. Of course we care about everyone's health. But it's because life has value. Because God has determined that life has value. And from the moment of conception, our objective was that life is to point them to faith in Jesus. That's what we did. So that's what we do as a church. We care about your kids. And we have Wampa Land for little preschoolers. You know? We want them, God loves them, God made them, Jesus is their friend. We have Upstreet, you know, and we have a wand. WAN, we have Upstreet, we have Sunday school, what we call Sunday school, call it Upstreet. We have a wand on Wednesdays, camps, and VBSY. We care about your kids. We create that great environment because we want your kids to enjoy it. Say, I want to go back there. It's a fun place to go. And while they're having fun, we're secretly teaching them about Jesus, you know. <laughs> nah, it's not secretly, it's open. And youth, we care about youth. Sometimes people think we don't care because they don't have space here in, in, in the first phase. So that's why we're building the second phase. But we knew kids, youth are more flexible. We care about them. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, camps, I mean, uh, uh, mission trips. We care about what kids involve with youth. When we do phase two, this room, this building, this center right here, will be converted into a cool, really cool youth space. I mean, we care about your kids. But they're not our kids. They're your kids. God didn't give them to us. Gave them to you. And they're your responsibility point them to Jesus. You begin by doing that by living out your faith. Living the faith that Christ expects you to live. Because here's what we know. The vast majority of people come to faith in Jesus between the ages of 9 and 12. That's why Jesus says, don't hinder them from coming. They're the ones who come. Someone is going to influence your child. They'll either influence your child to Jesus or they'll influence your child away from Jesus. You better be sure that you point them to Christ. Second thing, simply this protect your children from a culture that is in opposition to Jesus. We live in a post Christian culture. We do not live in a Christian culture. Do not, do not trick yourself, deceive yourself into thinking our culture is inherently Christian. It is not. We live in a culture in opposition to the things of God. That's just the way it is. And so when you want to teach your kids right from wrong, you better teach them right from wrong the way God views right from wrong, not the way the culture. Here's what you need to understand about our culture. It's really not complicated. Our culture is very simple. The culture we live in today is a culture that denies the fact that there is truth. They say objective truth doesn't exist. That truth is whatever you want it to be. Now, that's a... A non-logical sentence, I know that. And logical people say, well, that's not logical, but that's the whole point. Logic's thrown out the door. You create your own reality. And that you see that all the time. Some of you may even believe that, well, you get to create your own reality. That is because you have rejected, you've rejected object, objective truth, that there is certain things that are universal. We know, for instance, that gravity is true. Well, so is that God exists and that God created. We know that's true. But some people reject that. They reject truth. And you get to create the reality you want. And when you create the reality you want, you can get rid of God. He doesn't matter anymore. When you get rid of truth, then you begin to do this. You begin to say that all religions are the same that there's no distinction between the religions, that they're all the same. And this is the thing, that's an insult to all religions. I mean, even not just Christianity, but one of the things about Christians is that we believe we're the only, the true faith to Christ, the true faith to God is through Christ. We believe that. We believe we're correct. And that all the other religions are false and wrong, but we still respect them and recognize the distinctions. If I don't recognize that someone who is Hindu is different than me, how am I ever going to lead them to Jesus? If I don't recognize that someone who has no faith at all is different than me, how am I ever going to help them come to Christ? You see, when you make all religions the same, Jesus becomes unimportant. And people don't need Christ. And this is where the world is headed. And because of all this, what we also begin to do, and we see this all the time in our culture, is we deny and we completely remove the scientific, undisputable facts about our humanity and our sexuality. We get to gender fluidity. You can be whatever gender you want. Now, you know how people always say, you know, we just follow the science and we believe the facts. They follow the science until the science disagrees with them. Then you follow your feelings. That's because there is no objective truth. You can do that when you say you create your own reality. And then we tell kids, you you can have whatever sexual orientation you want. It's up to you. And we can tell them that because to them, God doesn't exist. And if God doesn't exist... God's expectations don't exist. And you just remove all of them. And that's a culture in opposition to God. And your kids live in that culture. You can't hide them, but you can protect them. And you've got to wade into that culture with them. You've got to go into it with them. But you also have to understand that it opposes God. Now think about this. <laughs> if Jesus got upset because his disciples kept the children from him, How do you think he feels when a culture corrupts the kids against him completely? Mark, chapter 9, verse 42. Here's what Jesus says. Whoever causes one of these little ones, these children, who believes to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. I don't think he's pleased. Parents, enter into the culture with your kids and protect them. Pray with them. Love them. Teach them to love people. And when they're confronted with a culture in opposition to God, show them why the culture is wrong. Show them what is true. And point them to Jesus. Protect them from the culture. Now, sometimes you do that. Things don't always work out the way you want. Sometimes life is life. Kids are going to grow up sometimes and stray away. So here's the other thing you need to have and need to know. And this is for everybody who can your kids are. Third principle to get is this. Promise your children you'll always love them. They came to Jesus. He hugged them because he loved them. He blessed them because he loved them. Promise your kids no matter what, you'll always love them. Luke there's a story in the 15th chapter of the prodigal son. When I, um, when I wrote my book had it last year, and had it published. Some of you bought the book. Many of you have it. <laughs> still books out there. I just said, pull them. They don't want them. I'm not going to sell them. But in, in the, book, the last two chapters, dealt with the story of the prodigal son. It was the son in the faraway land, and then it ended with the Father at the end of the road, with the reminder that the Father always loved the Son, and the Son could always come home. You can point your kids to Jesus and protect them, and still they can go astray. I know that. Debbie and I have a wonderful daughter. We really do. She loves the Lord. But about 10 years ago, she went down that different path. And I remember the frustration. I just just remember how difficult it was. And there was one night at the very worst of it, and Debbie and I were so frustrated and distraught. And, and you know, I had just decided to stay up all night and pray. I couldn't sleep at all, and uh, I was just praying. And, and this prayer, you know, in, in, in one, two, three, four in the morning, and I'm just, I'm just going after God with everything. I'm leveraging everything I have. I'm saying, God, come on! I, I gave up so much to become a pastor. Think of all the good I've done. All the things I've done. All those great sermons I preached. All the people I've helped. God, I could have gone into law. I could have been a coach. I could have been this or that. I could have done so many things, God. I had so many options. And I surrendered to you. God, you owe me. You owe me. And man, I, I poured out everything I had. And when I was completely through, totally exhausted, and I was on the steps between the first and second floor, when I was through, God said this to me through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I said, David, as much as you love your daughter, I love her more. And here's what you're going to do. You're just going to tell your daughter, you will always love her. So that's what Debbie and I did. We told our daughter, we will always love you. And not too long after that she came home. By the grace of God? Oh yes. Because of faith in Jesus, sure. But she said I came home because I knew you loved me no matter what I had ever done. Sometimes you can do everything you can to point your kids And protect your kids. But no matter how old they are, sometimes all you have left is but to promise them. You love them. You see, God gave kids to us so that we could give them back to him. And God expects you to raise your kids the way he would raise them. And he would certainly point them to Jesus. And he will protect them from a culture. But more than anything, he will always promise to love your kids. Children matter to God. They should matter to you. Some of you today need to make a commitment to God because you have young kids. God, I'm going I'm to point them. And I'm going to protect them. And I promise to love them. So make that commitment today. Maybe you already have, but just, it's okay to make it again. And again, and again, and again. Some of you, your kids are grown. That's fine. But you still love them. Some of your kids are in a tough place, regardless of their age. Maybe your grandkids are in a tough place. And you don't know what to do. Love them. No matter what. Sometimes that's all that's left. And so, at our time today, we'll be here. If you want to come and have us pray with you and your, about your family, we will. You don't have to. But we will pray with you. And maybe you want to pray for maybe an extended family or someone else. will do that as well. If you want to join our church, we'd love to have you join our church. If you want to give your life to Christ, we, we would love for you to give your life to Christ. But this is what we really want for you. Raise your kids the way God would raise them. Father, I thank you for kids. I thank you for mine. She's blessed our life. Thank you. Thank you for all our kids. They're so important to us. We want to love them. We want to share life with them. We want to come alongside our families and help them. But God, ultimately, it's up to them. You gave the kids to the families. So I ask in the name of Christ, and I ask in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help our families point their kids to Jesus, protect them from a culture that is in opposition to you, promise their kids they will love them, always, no matter what, just like you, love us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand? We'll be here to greet you. You come and we'll pray.